You're listening to the Bay Christian Family Church Podcast. So good to see all of you. You know, I was born just around the corner here. I was born in Stellenbosch. Yeah, some of you are implants. I was born here. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. I, when I got the call to the prophetic ministry, I fought it as hard as I could. I had a train collision that, um, literally a train collision that got my attention. My wife and I, wife would be here a little later, and one of our children was in the vehicle, and I told God he had the wrong person for the prophetic ministry in the late uh, 70s, early 80s, and, and we were on the way to church in the crossing a railway track. Our vehicle died on the track, and train hit us in the, the vehicle anyway, and the Lord said, you're not taking good care of your family. Let, them take, let me take care of them better than you can, and uh, go and do what I've told you. And that was 40 years ago. And I'm still doing it, traveling the world and raising up prophetic people. <clears throat> I don't like the mystical, weird, strange people that are always seeing angels and on a special plane. I want them to reflect Jesus. If a prophetic ministry is from the Lord, you're going to want God more after they speak to you. That's how it should be, right? This morning, I want to talk to you about your heritage. It's been, I haven't taught this before. The Lord already prompted my spirit. And uh, I want to read from the book of John chapter 4. For those that are students, John is very different to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He wrote his book way late in his life. He wrote it himself, uh, like Matthew's disciples wrote his. And, and uh, the book of John, written in his 80s, John was the only disciple that was not in a, a martyr. He, was, he lived to be an old man. Uh, on the Isle of Patmos, and so he was in his 90s when he died. He wrote his book of John, this book of John, uh, apparently in Ephesus with some help. But anyway, from the book of John chapter 4, there's a chapter that he relays about Jesus that's teaching, and in Jerusalem, an area, and this, uh, he's baptizing, and because he's baptizing so well, that they tell him, we apparently we've been told that we baptize more than John. And the scripture says when Jesus hears this, he decides, let's go back to Galilee. On the way back, they go, there's several ways of going. They went straight north through Samaria. And they stopped at a town called Sychar, where there's a well. And at the well, he sat there, it was hot that day. And of course, it's hot all the time, most times in Israel. And then he, the disciples went in to get some food. And while he sat there, a little lady came and he was about to draw water. In the middle of the day, it was noon. It was very hot. And he, she obviously didn't want people to see her because she only draw water in the morning or the evening. But she got there and she's full of hurt, anger, and bitterness. And Jesus begins to ask for water and she spits out all her anger. And they begin to discourse, begin to dis discuss and talk. And comes to light that she's had five husbands and, and she's living with a man. And when she hears Jesus expound on this, she feels that he, she says, I perceive you're a prophet. And then, then immediately she changes the topic and talks about the place of worship. And this is what it reads like in John chapter 4. And it says in verse, uh, uh, verse 19, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors, now the ancestors of the Samaritans would have been Jacob. Jacob got married to an Assyrian, and that's where the Samaritans came from. And so our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, this is our words. Of, this is not John, Peter. This is Jesus speaking. Believe me, 
A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans, this got my attention, worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet it's a time coming that when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks or looking for. It's the only thing God's looking for, worshippers, true worshippers. But what got my attention was, you worship what you do not know. And I began to wonder how many people are worshipping and not knowing what they're worshipping. And how is it possible to worship something you don't know? And why are you saying salvations from the Jews when you haven't even died yet? So what are, what are you actually saying, Jesus? You Samaritans worship what you do not know. And I want you guys to know this morning, when you got born again, the most important event of your life took place. You made a commitment and received salvation from the Lord Jesus, and you, hopefully you met him, and he became a reality, much like this wonderful Exhortation this morning of this pastor that if you speak in tongues, once you've experienced tongues, you, it's a reality for you can't take it away. The experiential reality. And so if you tasted and got saved and met the Lord Jesus, you now are in relationship with him because you now have met him. You understand who it is. But I want you to understand when you got born again, so much more happened. You became a child of God and became an heir and a joint heir. A joint heir and were grafted in to this, what Jesus is saying, we Jews. That's what he said. We Jews know what we worship. We know him for salvation is from us. You have been grafted into that group. Well, I'm from a Jewish family. That's how I ended up in Africa because my mother had, had fled the Holocaust and she came to Cape Town on a refugee ship. It was one of the few that were left still leaving Germany at that time. They sent one back from New York. Those people got killed. But long story short is, is I have a different understanding, and I didn't realize that until I got older, about so many things and which I would have thought. And I heard them talking about tithing today. And for a Jew, a tithing is not a discussion. It's the most strangest thing when I hear Gentiles trying to motivate people to tithe. You know, tithing came long before it was ever in Israel. Melchizedek, which is one of our prize uh, historical people in the Israeli faith or Jewish faith, was a priest and a king, which is the, he's the only one that we know of. And he lived in Jerusalem, which is called Salem at the time. And he had a temple. And he was a wonderful soldier and a good man. And he went to Abram's aid to help him fight. And then he had this temple and he ministered to him too, spiritually. And Abram was so enthralled with him that he purposed in his heart to honor him and to recognize God in him by giving a tenth of his income. And from that moment where faith came from our father Abraham, so did the spirit of tithing. And I've always thought if you're really born again, it should not be a struggle for you to tithe. It should be the most natural thing, almost automatic. Then I've noticed also my brethren, the 
my non-Jewish brethren talk about sowing and reaping. Uh, they get very confused about sowing and reaping and offerings. They don't understand the difference. You know, you don't have to be a Christian to sow and reap. It's the only time you cannot mock, make fun of God. God will not be made fun of. Anybody, anybody sows and will reap. Reaping, you get what you sow. And if you want to sow corn or you want to sow wheat, if, you go, if they go to the co-op here in this country and they say, I want to buy seed, they're going to ask, well, how much or how big is your land? And you'll say, well, it's five acres. Okay, and he calculates, you'll need this much tonnage of seed. I can't afford that. I will buy half and I'll just sow it in space. I'll space it further. It's not going to give you a better harvest. You're only going to get what you sow. But what frustrates me about the Christians, the non-Jewish ones, is they, they sow seed. But I don't see them expecting a harvest. In fact, the moment I put that seed in, I'm watching and I'm nurturing that seed because I'm, I'm looking. I'm glad you got to enjoy the seed, but I've got the harvest coming. I'm looking for that. That's why I'm so, I don't have to be a Christian even. <laughs> because that's what it is. It's the promise of God. But what the Christians don't know, which I want to help you Gentiles here about offerings. Offering is something holy to God. It's something very precious to him. There are many kind of offerings. I always ask people, do you think Jesus did offerings? They say, no, he didn't do any sin. The sin offering is only one kind of offering. You have first fruits, for example. They sacrificed two doves when he got born. There's different kinds of offerings. And Jesus did offerings. There's no question. An offering is something holy and precious to God because he's not demanding it of you. And it comes from your heart. It's your expression of loving God. At Christmas time, I don't know how severe it is in South Africa, but where I come from, in America, it is extreme to buy gifts. When you buy a gift in America, they give you a, a return receipt. So you can, there's no amount on there. The person can bring back the gift. And the next day after Christmas, it's a mega day in the store. People bring back the gifts. It's so annoying to me. Why you buy it in the first place? It's got to be brought back. It's so crazy to me. And they spend money in America they don't have on things they didn't want and for people didn't don't appreciate them. It's totally a waste of the whole, but I've noticed people buying gifts. Years gone by, we have Amazon now, but years gone by, I saw mothers fight each other over a toy because it was almost gone. There was none left. They were fighting to get that toy for Christmas. The, the effort people made for Christmas. When you love someone, you go through a great extreme and you can't wait for that day they get in the gift, but you get excited to watch them open it. Now, that, that's because you love them. If you love God and you bring an offering to him, you don't bring him what's left over. You don't bring him something that's got no value. There's a sacrifice involved in your offering. And it's so precious to you, and it means something to you. Otherwise, and that's what David said, I will not give to God that which cost me nothing. So an offering is holy, and you can't bring an offering to God if you're not a tither. Because while you're still giving offerings and you haven't tithed, it's still part of the tithe that belongs to him until you've got that tithe fully covered. <laughs> it doesn't matter how difficult an economy is, God will not be mocked. It is proven fact for thousands of years. If you give, do what God says, he's going to give it back to you, press down, running over. Sorry, I got distracted. Let's go back to... My teaching. You are joint heirs. You're more than just born again Christians. You are joint heirs to this.
people that Jesus said, salvation is from the Jews. And I began to search and research and wonder, what was he talking about? The nation of Israel was birthed specifically to bring forth Jesus. It was God's plan to bring a savior to the world for his, his own son. And to create a platform for him, he had to have a nation that will be recognized by every nation in the world. It is the only nation that still has its language intact, its culture intact. After thousands and thousands of years, nothing has changed. After so much difficulty they've been through, they've come together and just seen one difficulty after another. But they were birthed through a slavery situation of oppression for 400 years. They came so much. And when I take tours to Israel, they always ask me and watch how Herod had built these enormous stones that he'd used. And they said, how did he do it in those days? I said, the practice we had in Egypt, so many years we practiced about building. So we were experts by the time we got to Israel. Let me tell you. <laughs> so so the, whole, the whole thing that God had planned for you to get saved was to have a nation recognized by the world, a people. They had to know him. So he introduced himself as their God and their father, step by step, and it was one hardship after another. They could not taste victories without a battle. He gives them a promised land, but giants live there. And every step is a fight. The... Samaritans didn't fight for a thing. They were bred into the society and they didn't have that same experience. You sitting here today have gone through so many things once you met the Lord. So many things happened and you were glad for salvation, but you're getting to know him more and more through so many things that you go. God doesn't want you to go through those things, but life throws them at you and the devil's not sitting by watching. You know, I've always avoided trying to glorify the devil by talking about him, but I've noticed my Savior, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, talks about the devil all the time. A real adversary. Constantly, the devil's come to steal, divide, and destroy. I saw the devil fall like lightning. On and on he mentions about the devil. He's very mindful of the devil. There's a man with a thousand. What was Jesus doing in Gergesenes anyway? It's not even the Jewish area. Why would you go there and find a man that has got in such a bad way with so many demons? He doesn't even know, he doesn't even know which demon he's talking to. He says, what's your name? Jesus says to the devil, what's your name? The devil says, well, we, we legion because we're many. We're a thousand, a whole bunch of demons. This one man's got so many demons. And then he says, come out. And he says, can we go in the pigs, please? And he said, okay, go in the pigs. And you Gentiles don't even know why he did that, did you? I'm going to tell you. For free. Jesus said that when a devil comes out of someone, it roams the earth looking for a vessel to get into. Remember that? That's him talking about the devil again. Unless the house is clean and something replaced in it, the devil has a home to come back to. So the devil comes out, he's thrown out of that body. They're looking for someone else to torment. To give them momentary or time to be gratified and satisfied, they would be happy to kill the pigs. That would give them some satisfaction and leave the people alone for a while. So he was considering all those people he was ministering to that weren't yet delivered and free and healed yet. So he's always, always looking out to protect you. Always, always. Stay with me. <laughs> Stay. So you have been grafted into a 
to a whole different breed of people. You are joint heirs with this. He said, we Jews worship what we do, we do know. You're getting to know him through all the bumps and scratches. In fact, if you look back in your life and all you've been through, you know him better now than you did 20 years ago. And it's not because of the Bible study. And it's not because you quoted scripture. It's because you went through hell. And you, he brought you out. And when you came out, you loved him all the more. And you began to recognize his hand. And all the fights, the moment you went into the next fight, you began to call upon him because now you know him. You don't just worship some foreign God. Now when you worship, you're remembering what he has done. You sang those songs today, and that's why there are people that know His name. We worship God who we do know for salvation. He has brought salvation after salvation after salvation for the people. They know Him. They've seen the hand of God deliver them so many times. And He's delivering you all the time. He's helping you. That's why you know Him. He know, and when you feel you're bitter or angry at God, you're not spiting God. Some people want to punish God, doesn't do what they want. You, you're going to be very disappointed. Yeah. God doesn't stress about that. You can come to Him humbly because He always lifts the humble. Always. You don't have to be humble and good, humble and obedient, humble and a good giver. Just humble. Genuinely humble is an attraction to God. There are eight things biblically that attract God to people. And the humility, he can't stay away from someone that's got a genuinely humble heart. Do you understand? So when you're in crisis and you messed up, humble your heart in a hurry. Don't ask God to humble your heart. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't ask God to do it. You're going to be sorry. You tell him, I'll take care of it. Just show me how and when I'll do it right now. But don't you do it. I can, I can take care of this. If God humbles you, you will know all about it. Right. So you know God because looking back in your life, you've come through so many things. There's so many things you don't understand. God doesn't explain everything to you because you can't understand God's ways. His ways are so much higher. God has, God has dumbed down the Bible to baby talk. I mean, think about it. In the garden, there were two trees. What are we, kindergarten? Really, that's the best God can do for us? There were two trees in the garden? Really? That's how God's talking to us because we don't get it. And you want to understand God's ways. I, I laugh when prophets tell me, I know what God's doing. I go, <laughs> you know nothing. Your brain is the size of a pea. God's the size of a whole planet. God is so much more superior than we are. Do you understand? That's why you trust him because you don't know. <laughs> you wouldn't need to trust him if you knew what he was doing. You've got to trust him. And I'm tickled by the air conditioning because I, I know that what I know of him throughout my life is he always waits until you're at your most comfortable before he moves you. So if you want to move faster, fix this place up the best you can. And then you'll move. And God's not stressed by that because we want to be economical. He owns it all anyway. The older I become, the more I realize how rich God is. How the, what His value, how His economics work, way different to ours. Your whole tithing and giving is part of your spiritual journey. God doesn't need your money. 
He can have all you want, but he's teaching you spiritual principles. If you can't obey him with a small petty thing of when he gave you the money in the first place, because you certainly didn't bring it when you came here. When you got born, you brought nothing. You were toned so naked, you didn't even have clothes. You had nothing. And when you die, you're going to leave all that stuff, all that stuff you like so much, your fancy cars and your nice clothes and your jewelry stays right here. It was never yours. You just borrowed it. And it's all that stuff that's stressing you. What you must be stressed about then is the relationships that are more strained because that's what God's more concerned about is how we relate to Him and to other people. The second command is as great as the first. These are the things that God look at. Money is nothing to God, nothing. He's so rich. And so when He's dealing with tithing, you get offended. If you get offended and we're talking about tithing and offering, I'm so glad. I want to offend you. Because you will not change or grow. And I want you to grow. It really works. I'm telling you, the truth, the truth is the truth. It'll never change. I'm a living testimony that God's not poor or broke. 